Welcome to the Dead Format. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host from here to the infirmary, Thomas Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. Uh, I feel like absolute poop. Yeah, I don't have anything to follow that up with. If you guys think that our audio quality dropped off significantly, it didn't. This is this is how I sound right now. And trying to talk in front of a room th- full of 30 kids when you feel like garbage and your voice is going is not a fun experience. But talking about magic, that is fun. So I'm I'm still pumped to be here right now. I'm going to throw this out there. Do you think you might have gotten sick uh, hanging around with 106 people playing a card game the other day? So you, there are lots of times where I'll go away to a Grand Prix and I'll come back sick and I know that I caught it at the Grand Prix, but I, I already knew that my wife and my kid were sick before I went to the legacy event. So it's one of those two that gave it to me. It wasn't, it wasn't from the leaving a legacy tournament. Oh, so you're patient zero getting us all infected. Yeah. You know what? Given the way that my tournament went. I'm 100% okay with all of my opponents getting sick. Before I heard how sick you were, I was going to say the uh, Fallen Empire booster machine, Thomas Smiley. (laughs) I didn't have to restock. At the beginning of the day, I thought that I was going to have to go get more packs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you were giving them out left and right for a while. So, yeah, I, I had a blast playing. I'll talk a little bit about my deck choice later and how my rounds went, but there were... There were quite a few things that happened that could have gone either way when it came to the end results of my day. And it just the way that things work sometimes, it, it just broke the wrong way for me. Yeah, that's kind of what you get, right? Once in a while, there's there's just a lot of variance sometimes. Yep, I can't complain about my results, but I, I had an awesome time. It was actually the most fun that I've had playing Magic in in quite a long time. So, bro, we got to get you to wrap scallions then. Yeah, I mean, getting me out on a weekday to an area where I didn't have to commute through traffic is just this is not going to happen. Yeah, I'm just fucking around. I had a blast too. You know, game etc. Michelle, they always do it right. Uh, we had 106 or something like that, 108 maybe players. Everybody, I shouldn't say that. There were a lot of people that didn't show up that I expected to see. But there were even more people that I didn't expect to see that were there. And a lot of cool people were there. So it was a lot of fun. It was a fun weekend starting, I guess, Friday night when Wilson got to town and uh, Brian got to town too. And we went to a uh, pinball bar. That was pretty sweet. And yeah, it just carried over into Saturday. And Celso was there, which was awesome. I haven't seen him in forever. He looks great. Yeah, I don't know. We could do shout-outs later, I guess. But yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It was just a really fun weekend, and we got a lot of cans, too. Yeah, that... Now, I, I don't want to, like, downplay how much I think about the Magic community, because the people who we play Magic with around here are just great. But we we sort of had this idea kind of late in the process. And as we were going up to the tournament, since I was, like, the, the one that sort of brought it up to everybody, I was really worried that there wasn't going to be a really big turnout and the idea would sort of flop. And I made sure that I brought like a bunch of extra cans to put on the table to make sure that wouldn't happen. But man, I I have the list 
of people in front of me that brought canned goods or purchased toys to donate for Toys for Tots. And it's it's crazy to see how many of the people in the tournament donated and how much they did. It was such a success. And coming from something that like was really kind of easy to put together, seeing people find out about it and turn out was just such a great a great feeling. Yeah, and I want to shout out to my buddy Kramer who wasn't playing in the tournament but heard about the canned food drive and met up with me specifically before the tournament to give me 20 cans, which is just a super cool thing to do. So thank you very much, Kramer. It's much appreciated. And everybody who donated at the event is just awesome. It was really awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at the list that we we had to keep track of the donations, and Celso had the first one. And he made sure to write that only one can that he donated was going to count toward the leaving a legacy part of our tally, and 20 of them went to the good podcast. I, I hope that's us. I hope it's us, but thank you. Thank you to him. But honestly, the best the best thing that happened this weekend was the invocation counterspell that I donated to, like, troll on old school players. <laughs> <laughs> Got one by Rich Shea. Which was literally the perfect person to give that card to. And now he's paying it forward and raffling it off to make a donation to the Pittsburgh Victims Fund. And it's it's amazing to see how how the goodwill is sort of rolled forward. So what if the person who wins that raffle just ends up donating it to something else and this counterspell is just like the uh, hot potato? That'd be amazing. Just keep it going. Just keep it going around the world, man. Get it back to your binder. No, that moment was that moment was really special, man. That was definitely the highlight of the day for me. For me as well. So wait, you could actually see. Yes. Part, you were part of the random number generation. Did Rich's number actually come up, or did Jerry just say Rich Shea? No, I, his number actually came up. I had the <laughs> the Google random number generator on my phone open and i was having jerry hit the button and i was looking at the list and actually i'll respect there, it either way you can tell me after the cast what really happened. no no for real it, it was 100 percent rich and actually there were two people who won something whose number came up again and we made the executive decision to re-roll it to pass it forward yeah so rich was definitely the winner of that and may have actually won something else after but Gotcha. All right. So, your tournament, you told me during the week you were going to play Dredge, which uh, I thought was defensible, but then at some later point you decided you didn't want to play Dredge, you wanted to play something else. Yeah, I I was torn on exactly what I wanted to play. Leading up to the tournament, maybe three or four weeks before, I had identified Dredge as a deck that I was willing to play, played it online quite a bit, have it in paper, and decided that the way things sort of moved, that I felt like people would be a little bit more prepared for it, so I I got off Dredge. I thought about playing Eldrazi, I had that in my back pocket, and 
I was actually thinking about playing Burn, and Burn was sort of really high on my list up until the results of Eternal Weekend, where Hexsteps made a little bit of, of a push, Combo was starting to sneak back in, and I felt like the Burn deck had a great matchup against all those fair blue decks, but I didn't want to rumble in a field that was going to have a bunch of Hexsteps with Burn. So I kind of wanted to play a Wasteland deck because Wasteland decks are really at like an all-time low. People are starting to get greedy with their mana bases again. I wanted either Rest in Peace or Leyline of the Void, some sort of permanent base graveyard hate. And I kind of felt like Chalice was primed for a comeback. So I had a whole bunch of decks set to play. Like I had Miracles Built, I had Sneak and Show Ready, I had Eldrazi, I had a few other sort of piles of cards but I decided to bring Eldrazi, and obviously it is a very powerful deck, but you are sort of at the mercy of the gods when it comes to playing, because you don't really have any draw fixing, you have to mulligan aggressively, and even though you're running 25 land, sometimes your mana doesn't come together. It's, it's a small tournament with a small number of rounds. Or I shouldn't say small tournament, it was a mid-sized tournament. You take that, Jerry. You're not gonna go. You're not gonna go play 15 rounds. It wasn't a two-day event, so I felt like the variance of that catching up to me, I could kind of dodge a little bit, and I, I chose to bring Eldrazi because it sort of had what I was looking for in its matchups, and I thought that it was gonna be pretty well positioned for the weekend. And I told you the night before that I thought that Eldrazi was pretty close to objectively correct for this tournament, like for what I expected to see. Not that I was going to play it, because I wasn't, but I do think that it was entirely defensible to choose that deck. So, spoiler, I ended up 4-3. and three. I lost my last round to Misprizes, and in my two rounds before that I had losses in, it definitely could have broken either way. I think I easily could have been 6-1, and one. and I was talking to some people after. I had fun playing, even though I finished 4-3. and three. Sometimes you just have to understand that you make your deck choice, you show up, and you worry about the things that you can control. I really just tried to focus on having a good time after the beginning of my day just really didn't go the way I wanted it to. All right, so I'm going to sound like a complete dickhead for a second. Did you honestly have fun playing? Yeah. Like, okay. So, obviously playing Eldrazi is way different than playing like a Brainstorm deck where you have a ton of decisions, you're playing Days in Wasteland and Planeswalkers and things like that. Like, my decisions were far less complicated than other decks that I've played, for sure. I still had fun. Playing Thought Not Seer and having a Chalice on one with a Thorn, like, that shit's fun. It's not fun for your opponent, but it is It is fun to do. Sitting, sitting behind needing to draw a land and not being able to cantrip into it obviously isn't fun, but I still like smashing things. Like yeah. if I've, I've, I've played Hexproof in a few of the big modern tournaments recently. I'm not above playing Hexproof. Like I will sit there behind my whatever, whatever vigilance, life linking reach creature and have a blast but I felt like Eldrazi was sort of that same that same mindset of 
pick a deck that you feel like is good for the meta, jam it, and just understand that you're going to have a little bit less control in your games than you are used to having. So let's say Eldrazi is the perfect deck for this tournament. Would you say that you have then like a 75% chance of winning any match? So, no. What do you think the top the top level is? I mean, it, obviously it depends on the decks that you're playing against. Right, right. I'm saying let's say you get all good matchups. I mean, maybe your best matchups, your absolute best matchup, you you might be close, but the deck the deck performs solidly against miracles, which is one of the reasons why it was sort of high up on my list. It obviously plays out very differently when you have a chalice in play versus when you don't. But that stompy game plan in Legacy still matters, and it is a deck that can punish your opponent, and it, it definitely did that throughout the day. Yeah, so I guess what I'm just saying is, do you feel like you won games that other Eldrazi players might have lost over the course of the day? I think when you pick something like Eldrazi, if you if you want to compare it to a deck like Delver, right? The standard deviation of win percentage based off of pilot skill is much wider in a deck like Delver. I feel like you're rewarded less for your play skill when you're playing a deck like Eldrazi. But if you're really just looking for the average performance and you want to pick the deck that you think is just going to perform the best, then it it seemed fine for me to pick. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm just trying to feel out your your reasoning here, your logic picking that deck, because I played it a couple times at the beginning, and I really found that I didn't like it because I felt like the wins and losses were out of my hands. Now, I tried to put that aside and and think about what matchups I was looking at and what I predicted those matchups to be. And right. I felt like Eldrazi was favored versus all of the big decks that I thought were going to come into the field. Yep. And I told myself before the tournament that I was going to be okay with losing some games where things didn't come together because I felt like I was bringing an objectively powerful deck to the format and I just had to deal with that. Yeah, and I think it's totally defensible. Like I said, it's pretty I think it was pretty close to objectively just like a correct deck to bring that day. It's just my personal hang up, I think. Yep. So I was just curious about your thought process. Yeah, it when you when you choose to bring a deck like that, you kind of get to you kind of get to take your results, your personal results how you did. And sort of separate them from your your thought process about how you are as a player, right? Like, when I go play Hexproof, if things don't come together for me and I end up mulliganing a lot and lose some matches, I don't, I don't think of myself as a worse player because the things didn't go very well for me. But you think if of playing, yourself as a good player, right? Generally. Like, there are a lot of tournaments that I I will play where I'm playing a Ponder Brainstorm deck and there are small micro decisions that I'll look back on in a match that I'll, that I'll lose and I'll question whether or not those were the highest percentage play. Like, I'm not questioning whether or not I'm a good player, but I think back on those times a lot more because you try to see how things would have broken differently if you made a different decision. Yeah. And obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but 
in this tur- in this tournament, uh, there was there was absolutely none of that. Right. Okay. That's cool, man. I, I was just curious. I wanted to uh, run through that thought process with you. So, did you want to talk about specific matches? Yeah. So I I took pretty pretty good notes. Round one. I played, I played my buddy Warren, who came up all the way from DC for the tournament. So Warren's in the Air Force, and he used to be at a base up in Massachusetts. And when I was a TO and running legacy tournaments. He used to come every Saturday to the store that I ran the Legacy Tournaments for. So, like, we used to play the Bant Mirrors almost every week. And uh, he ended up moving away, but we still kept in contact. We we still play Magic. And he came all the way from D.C. to play in the Leaving a Legacy event. And we ended up getting paired round one. Is he the dude who built the castle for us? He is one of the dudes who helped us build the castle with cans, yes. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Well, yep. th- thank you, Warren. So Warren was playing Dredge, and in game one, he ended up having some poor Dredges early. I think his first two didn't end up hitting another Dredger, and he only had one Therapy and one Bridge off of his initial two Dredges. So he had kind of a slow start. I put some pressure on him early, and then on his third Dredge, he ended up hitting... Double Therapy, Narco Amoeba, Triple Bridge. And I was very fortunate to be able to play just a zero drop to clear the bridge that he already had. So he wasn't quite able to stabilize in game one. So I ended up taking a game one from Dredge, which is highly unlikely. But I will, I'll take whatever I can get. In game two, I ended up having Leyline plus Spirit Guide Chalice. So uh, he did whatever he did on turn one when I had my ley line in play. I played a chalice off of a spirit guide, and I think it was just over from there. So round one, take down Dredge. I feel very fortunate because I got a game one against Dredge, but I drew my ley line and I had chalice, so I pretty much just had the perfect in game two. Hung out with Warren between rounds and... He ended up helping us build the Can Castle later on, which was which was awesome. So round two. Round two, I got a little salty, and I didn't mean to get salty. I sit down, and I paired with a very nice person named Landon, and I had heard the name before. Didn't have that name associated to a deck, and just remembered seeing this person's name on the Leaving a Legacy page. And Landon was playing Tess. So, in game one, I have a really fast start that basically has him dead by turn four. Looking back on it, this is one of the times where I probably could have taken a slightly different line to maybe make my opponent play differently. But basically, it came down to it on turn, on my turn three. I ended up tapping out for an Endbringer to pump my Eldrazi Mimic to make it so that he definitely did not have another turn. Like, if I got to untap and attack, he was dead. Alright? Now, I had Thought Not seared him and saw a pretty poor hand. Something like four lands and two tutors, which I took one of. So, I felt confident that I was probably going to get there, but 
the draw step that he got ended up being brainstorm. So he was able to brainstorm an ad nauseum with zero mana floating at uh, not a not a super low life total for TES, but he was at he was at nine and he ended up getting there. And after this game, he's like, I just want to let you know, I, I felt like you were favored there. And I I kind of took that the wrong way. I'm sure what he meant was it, it's unfortunate that his ad nauseum was so good. But in my mind, like that's just magic, right? Like you sit down and you play and it doesn't matter if you're favored or not. You you play to see what happens. Bro, maybe he was just trying to explain it to you because you were a dumb Aldrazi player. It it might be. It might be. He thought you had no idea what was going on, so he was just like clarifying. Uh, instead instead of me clearly explaining my thought process, I just looked at him and I shook my head and I was like, it doesn't matter, man. And like scooped up my cards and went on to game two. And I felt I felt like that was just such like looking back, that was just such a dickhead thing to say. And really what I meant by it was it's 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 magic. That's what happens. You don't have to apologize for drawing good cards like you got it. Let's go on to game two. I think I definitely do that sometimes. So I, I feel that pain landed. Yeah, I'm sure that I've done it before, too. But like my response when I when I thought about what I had said, I was like, oh, man, <laughs> that that was not the correct thing to say. But game two, I look at my opener and I am jazzed, like absolutely pumped to be on the play. I have a spirit guide, a chalice, a thorn, uh, wasteland, Urborg, mimic and thought not seer. So I'm like, I'm kind of light on land, but I have a turn one chalice, turn two thorn, guaranteed. And I, if I hit another land, I'm just, I'm going. So I play my turn one chalice, I play my turn two thorn, no land, no land. I play my mimic on two mana, and my opponent has naturally hit all of their land drops, in, in a deck where they, they obviously didn't resolve any cantrips because of Chalice and were, were just naturally hitting them. On their turn three, through the Thorn, they played Infernal Tutor, revealing Burning Wish to get another Burning Wish. So they have three lands in play. I have two and a Mimic. One of my lands is a Wasteland. And I understand that if I allow that Burning Wish to resolve, they're going to end up getting something to blow up my artifacts, and then I'm just dead on the next turn. So even though I only had two land in play, I made the decision to Wasteland them, and again, didn't hit another land off of my own deck, and my opponent hit his next two land drops naturally, and I just died to Pulverize, clearing out my artifacts and them then them going off and as he was casting pulverize bryant cook walked behind him and took a picture of the board state of him with four land in play casting pulverize <laughs> to my one urborg and three cards in the graveyard and like not to disrespect my opponent but to react to what bryant was doing 
I just flipped off Bryant's camera that he was using to take a picture of the board state. <laughs> so not only did I tell this guy, like, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter what your ad nauseum was. I just threw up, like, a gigantic fucking middle finger to the camera as he was as he was pushing my stuff in in the second game. So I, I want to apologize to Landon because... If he, yeah, like, there's absolutely no way he doesn't think that I'm just a total, total dickhead. So, I lost, I lost my round two. So I'm one and one. And I'm feeling not bad, but sort of disappointed that I didn't end up doing well against a deck that I thought I had a positive matchup against. So, going into round three, I get the feature match against my buddy, my modern teammate, Michael Rapp, and I knew that he was playing Grixis Control because we were talking about what he should play before the event, and he's like, listen, I have this four-color Leovold deck that I had sent you. It's basically Grixis with Leovold and Assassin's Trophy, or I have this Grixis Control deck where the mana base is a little bit more stable, and I have Blood Moon and Ensnaring Bridge in the board, and me, being a dumbass, told him that, you know what, I really think it's a good tournament for Blood Moon, and I really like Ensnaring Bridge. So he chose Grixis, and I knew that I was going to have to deal with those two cards post-board. So he beat the absolute piss out of me in the feature match area. He completely outplays me in game one. Absolutely. And makes me multi-four, and then hymns me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so game one... He was he was on the play, makes his land drop, I play Tomb Mimic, he makes his land drop and hymns me. I just got wrecked. And in game two, I I just couldn't beat in Staring Bridge. So he played Thoughtseize to make sure that the way was clear for the bridge, and I didn't draw an answer to it before his Jace and Liliana were basically just c completely controlled the game. So... I'm dead for top eight. I've given two packs away, and um, I only have one left. So I'm I'm planning on playing all day, and I only have one more loss that I can take before I have to like crawl to Pat and Jerry to tell them that their bounty ran out of packs already. Is that what you would do? You would ask them for more packs? Yeah, I'm not buying them. They're fallen empires, bro. What are they? Two bucks? Doesn't matter. It's the principle. Please, sir, may I have another pack? <laughs> I I'm not I'm not too proud to beg. <laughs> but here was here was another fun moment that I had for the tournament, and this was on stream. Mike was trying to match his hymns before the tournament. He he had two drinking on the table hymns and one Quentin Hoover hymn. And he really wanted to be able to match the artwork. So we got to open the pack on camera and the circle him came out of the pack. So we played the rest of the tournament with uh, three different artworks of him, the Torak. For the record, table him is correct him. You are absolutely wrong. Oh, I'll fight you on this one. What do you, what, what do you like? You like wolf him? No, no, no. Wolf him, Walmart him is clearly last. It's clearly number four. Yeah. So, in my opinion, it is circle him, hoover him, table him, and then wolf him. Now, table him and hoover him are very close, 
Wolfham is by far the last, but that's my order and I'm sticking to it. Bro, what if I told you I flew out to Montana back in 2015 and visited Quentin Hoover on his deathbed and asked him what the best hymn was and he told me it was Table. I would want to get some of the mushrooms that you took before you <laughs> thought about that story. That's what that's what I would say. All right, fair enough. Round four. I'm I'm in the just for fun bracket, and I play against Mud, like straight up metal worker, steel Hellkite, just beat down. And game one, I'm you on the play. You beat Mud. I beat Mud. Oh, this is great. So I turn to Thought Not Seer him. And see three metal worker, but but no extra mana acceleration. So he had another land drop, but it wasn't a soul land. And I took I took something that wasn't a metal worker, thinking that he was just gonna end up being dead before it mattered. And his draw step was Ancient Tomb, so he got to play his metal worker, which on the next turn played a Hellkite and a Lodestone Golem. So I actually ended up winning that game by sort of going wide around it. But I got hit by a Steel Hellkite twice and still ended up winning the game. That's insane. Yep. And in game two, he mulliganed on the play. And I can't put together what happened from the life pad. But I think that it looks like that he got hit by a... Mimic into Reality Smasher. And then just, that was it. So, I ended up squeaking out a match against Mud that is probably not the best matchup because Chalice and Thorn really just don't do anything against that deck. But the go-wide strategy just sort of got there. So, I'm 2-2. Two and two. I can still salvage a respectable record. And I play against Miracles in round five. End up winning a tight three-game match against Miracles. I, I actually felt really bad. In game one, I drew eight cards. I just, I didn't notice it. And I picked up my hand, called the judge. And the judge gave my opponent the choice, or the judge gave me the choice of letting my opponent thought seize me or mulling to six. And... I, I didn't feel like I wanted to make that choice, so I let my opponent choose whether or not they would like to thought seize me or have me maul. That's good. Yeah, like, I I feel like because... You could have this super redundant hand. Right, like, I just, I didn't, I felt like that was an advantage that I didn't want to take. Yeah. So, uh, ended up mulliganing, but getting game one anyway. Jace ulti- ultimated me in game two, sort of just kept me away from what I had to do, and I ended up with Chalice on one, Chalice on two, and Triple Thorn against a Jace in game three. And this was one of my favorite games that I had played. I was able to completely deny my opponent white mana. I saw that they had Brainstorm locked themselves with their Jace and skillfully ripped a Reality Smasher to kill the Jace and then ended up getting there. But I, I felt like throughout the day... Thorn of Amethyst was so much more fun to have than Chalice. Obviously, Chalice is probably a much more objectively powerful card, but Thorn Thorn was very, very fun to play. I'm not going to lie about that. All right, so round six, I have still have one pack left. I'm holding on to Dear Life, and I play against Hexteps, 
and in game one, I skillfully draw three wastelands, and in game two, I have two wastelands and a Caracas. So that match just ended really quickly, and I'm four and two, clawed back into it. If I win my last one, I can at least say that I did okay on the podcast. And I played against Sean Turley. He's from Maine. He's part of the Legacy crew that travels from there. And I played him in Grand Prix Richmond. And he was on Black White Bomberman. And I wasn't sure if he was on the same deck. So in game one, I was actually thinking about whether or not I mull to play a Chalice on Zero. What what do you think about that? So last time you played somebody a few months ago, they were on a certain deck. You you think that they are probably on the same deck, but do you mulligan a keepable seven to to try to hose what you think they're playing when you're not sure? I don't know. Okay. I didn't. I didn't either. I kept my I kept my seven. He was on Bomberman and uh and I ended up getting comboed out on Did you three. think he was on Bomberman? Because didn't he play like mono red sneak for a while? Maybe, but the last time I played him, he was playing Bomberman. Okay, I think the last time I played him, if it's the right dude that I'm thinking of, he was on Mono Red Sneak, so... Okay. Yeah, I, I felt like it wasn't worth the chance because I had a keepable hand, and I just... I, I died to the combo on turn three. Game two was insane. Absolutely insane. So, I have... Three thorns in play, a chalice on one, sorry, chalice on zero, a chalice on two. And he's hiding behind an ensnaring bridge, and we're basically racing to draw walking ballista. So we can end up pumping up our ballistas to kill each other, because the bridge was in play. And he ended up drawing his first, that he was able to continually sort of recur with his salvagers to grind me out of the game. And there was a turn toward the end, actually two turns, where I ended up playing a Ballista and shooting my own Matter Reshaper because I needed to have a Spyglass on top of my deck to put into play to shut down Ballista, which would give me the win because he had less cards in his library than me. <laughs> that, that game just ended up being absolutely insane, and I lost my last pack of Fallen Empires to finish three and sorry to finish four and three. It was disappointing record wise, but the Storm matchup could have gone either way. The Grixis matchup obviously could have gone either way, and that Bomberman matchup was pretty ridiculous. So I was in all of the matches that I played. I don't think that I made the wrong deck choice. So I'm okay with what happened. That's great, man. Your tournament went way better than mine, though. Kind of. I mean, during the week, I thought I was going to play that bug mid-range-ish deck, like a noble bug deck that our patron Tom Cairn said sent us. He had 5-0'd with the list a couple times. I ended up playing through three leagues with it online, and the best I ever did was 3-2. I feel like I didn't get the best matchups. I was still like learning the sideboarding. I tried a bunch of different stuff. But ultimately, I didn't feel terribly comfortable with the deck so the night before i had that deck built i had esper miracles built and i had that rug that noble rug deck that i talked about for quite a while built and i was trying to figure out 
And I realized I never played that Noble Rug deck in paper. And I felt like, you know, I had like a 60% win percentage with it online. I felt like it deserved a chance, you know. And I was very comfortable with it. So I brought it. And I didn't put in the work that I should have on the sideboard plans. Like, I just kind of winged it. I made a lot of choices in the sideboard that were like the most powerful cards and not necessarily the most versatile cards. And that really came back to bite me in the tournament as well as karma, because I talked a lot of shit about burn two weeks ago on our podcast, how I would never play the deck. And you know, God has a sense of humor. I got absolutely fucking spanked by burn on camera. So I completely deserved that. You want to know, you want to know the funny part. What's that? I was I was watching that match, right? And saw everything that happened and obviously felt bad for you, but in the conversation that that we all had the player who was playing Burn was like, "Yeah, I heard I heard you talk about it on the cast and just thought to myself, "Yeah, why wouldn't I play Burn?" And the deck that ended up playing against you was because of or could have been brought about by that person listening to our cast. I just I found that crazy. Yeah, there were a couple of moments like that for me, which blew my mind because it's like I don't I don't picture anybody actually listening to us. Like maybe to mock us, they could listen to us, but that's about it. So anyway, yeah, round one I played against Depths. I missed a Pyromancer trigger in game one on a stifle a stage activation, and I would have had lethal the next turn. So I got that loss and just figured, okay, that's how my day is going to go. I'm too used to playing Moto. I'm a fucking scrub and I'm going to 0-2 drop. But I won games two and three off drawing my sideboard pithing needle, mainly, and having decent hands. Uh, Dude's name was Christian, really nice guy. I think you were friends with him because he was sitting with you a lot after that. Yeah, he's, um, he's part of the New Hampshire crew. Okay. that is friends with my modern teammate and he he was one of the people who I hung out with in Richmond and he crushed day 1 of that tournament and day 2 didn't really go his way but he's a really cool guy. Yeah, he seemed like a nice, really nice dude. I mean, obviously fucking everybody I played seemed like a really nice dude. So that goes without saying, but uh round 2 I played against the goblins guy who ended up top aiding. He okay, so when you're playing against goblins from the Delver seat, there's three cards, or from the blue seat, let's say, there's three cards you care about, right? You care about Lackey, you care about Vile, and you care about Cavern. I didn't have enough cards in my sideboard to do any sort of like boarding out my counter spells plan, which would be like ideal, right? It's a it's a vile deck. You'd ideally like to get as many counter spells out as you can, in my opinion. I feel like you want to keep in some forces for the turn one vial, but I mean, you would like to get rid of most of them for sure. So then if you miss the turn one vial and then you draw forces, they're just dead cards, right? This is something that we've argued about before. I don't think we need to hash it out again, <laughs> but yep. um, I would have liked to get my forces out. I couldn't. My sideboard plan was woefully unprepared for goblins. The last two cards I'd cut were a braid for another ancient grudge and Blue Elemental Blast for another Flusterstorm. So I was just up shit's creek and got turn three in game two, which like I didn't even know goblins could do. Uh through a turn two true name too. So that was that was disheartening, but completely deserved. The guy seemed to know what he was doing. And like I said, he had Cavern, Vile, and Lackey in both games. 
so yeah, I was just toast basically. So you live, you learn. He seemed like he knew his deck really well. So good for him. He made top eight too. So that was cool. Round three, I played against Maverick. Beautiful deck. This dude had like foil onslaught heaths and uh, foil uh, Urza's mother of runes. Just like a, a labor of love kind of deck. I had turn two true name both games, and that was it. He had a Hierarch double mom draw in game two, and I had Pithing Needle Electricery in my opening. So it was just, it was disgusting. It was pretty disheartening, I think, from his side, and I felt bad because I, I love that deck. And I stifled a Verdant so he couldn't get a Swamp, and it turned out he didn't actually have black in his deck. So I was kind of worried about nothing. My, my true names were just going to get there no matter what. So that was round three. Uh, it was 2-1 and one at that point. And I got paired against Grant Fishman, who I expected to be on either Miracles or Grixis Control. He's like a fair blue player. He's a good player. Sometimes he's played Shardless, but I, I would think he would be playing that right now. We played three great games. You know how it is, like Rogue Delver against Grixis Control. I had double Spell Snare in my main, so I felt very prepared prepared for the matchup and that's how it played out i actually really liked his sideboard plan he cut a lot of cards that you don't typically see them cut he cut all three of his kolagon's commands which i think is extremely smart and so he took game two off me with a blood moon and game three was a real grind and i just barely got there so yeah he cut all his jaces all his kolagon's commands got really low to the ground and he could have top decked or could have pondered into a deluge for the save in game three, but couldn't find it. So yeah, that was uh, that was round four. So now I'm three one, and I get paired against a dude named Vincent, who I'd never seen before, and he tells me it's his first legacy tournament. So I'm like, okay, cool, you know. He goes basic island Delver. So that's cool, right? I go Hierarch. He goes uh, Basic Island Fairy Miscreant. And I'm like, fuck, dude. What are you... Like, what is this? What What's happening right now, right? Do you know what a Fairy Miscreant is? It's a 2-1 blue flyer for one mana. 1-1, one, one, yeah. Oh, it's a 1-1? One, one, and it has something to do with other Fairy Miscreants or other fairies in play. It's like Bounce... No, no, no. It's just draw a card if you got another fairy. Okay, okay. Yeah, so obviously, like, off of those opening plays, you're assuming that your opponent's on red-blue Delver, and you're assuming that you... If you're watching with no information, you're like, all right, we're playing red-blue Delver versus Infect. And then things go very sideways when that card comes into play. Yeah, he absolutely thought I was an Infect, actually. But I wasn't, obviously. I played a turn two true name, as was the theme of the day for me, apparently. And uh, I got there game one. I saw Spell Stutter Sprite, and I can't remember what other cards I saw. It was a pretty quick game one. But game two, I brought in, so I brought in Electricries and Red Blasts, obviously. And 
game two, we played a, a very long game. I had less than half the cards left in my library. And he actually took it off vapor snagging his own spell stutter sprite to counter my electricery, which was a sick play that I wasn't even aware was available to him, even though I had perfect information at the time. Mm-hmm. Because he had like flipped his Delver with the vapor snag. I got you. So this is me like not knowing Popper, right? And I also played into a daze because for some unknown reason i thought days was an uncommon and therefore couldn't be in his deck <laughs> that's great so yeah i played right into a daze and he got game two and then game three i drew double electricery and that was enough to handle that deck he didn't flip his delver on a key turn and i got like uh three miscreants and, and a delver with one electricery well that's that's a great sort of idea to think about how how to get into legacy on a budget i hadn't seen deck lists like that in legacy period so if this person was performing well enough to be able to take that uh to at least take a game and have a chance of of winning the match against a like fairly powerful deck that might be a good spot for people who are trying to get into the format and can't really get dual lands to start with yeah, and I talked to Homeboy, too, and he was telling me that, first of all, he was 3-1 when we met, so he'd done pretty well. He'd beat Miracles twice, he said. And he was just talking about how the, the mana base lines up. Like, he's not, you know, he's not vulnerable to Wasteland or Blood Moon. Like, a lot of the ways that people are typically attacking Legacy decks, he just kind of sidesteps. And... If, so I was thinking if you put a couple caverns and a couple force of wills in that deck, there might be something there, right? I mean, is it better than Merfolk? I can't really say. Well, it's different. You're playing a tempo game rather than the sort of go wide game. It's probably not better than Merfolk, but they're different. So different metagames could call for different things. But obviously that deck is much less expensive than fish to build. So, yeah, I, I won't say that it's necessarily better than Fish, but it was it was definitely interesting, right? I mean, he took a game off me. He clearly was taking games off tier decks all day. There's some degree of, like, I have no fucking idea what to expect out of Mono Blue Pauper, right? Like, I was trying to, like, reconstruct it in my head, and I, I was getting nowhere, so. So, yeah, at that point, um, 4-1... Jerry tells me I'm going to get the feature, which means I'm like 50-50 to get the feature because you might forget. I do end up getting the feature. Um, playing against a dude in an Eternal Dirtle shirt. So it's, yeah, man. it's clearly a grudge match at that point. I'm, I was so disappointed. He wins the die roll. I get, he, he starts out with a basic mountain lava spike, so it's clear what's happening. I have a reasonable draw game one, like uh, I think it was a, a another hierarchy into true name draw actually, and take game one off of him. So I'm pretty happy actually. I have two flusterstorms on my board. I cut two stifles, and game two, I got flooded on threats. I had two true names and two young pyromancers that I was trying to shuffle away and they just kept coming back up. 
so game two didn't go my way and then game three i it was, it was a super interesting game it was definitely the most interesting game of the tournament for me i had i had a great keep i had a uh, double days and my threat my threat package was I, I believe a turn one Delver and a true name. So I lead out with the Delver. He goes upstairs. Or actually, he suspends a Rift Bolt. So turn two, I don't flip my Delver, but I get to brainstorm. So after my brainstorm, I end up having three dazes and a spell snare for a counter magic. And I decide to shuffle away one of the dazes because, like, I don't want to play out three islands at any point. I don't think that this third days is going to be relevant, right? And he ends up going on his turn to spike you, suspend bolt. On his turn three, spike you, suspend rift bolt. So he's playing around days perfectly. Like there, there's no opportunity for me to daze him. And then on turn four, I still... I'm pondering and stuff. I, I can't hit a Fluster Storm or a Force of Will. So he ends up going Chain Lightning, which I double dazed, and he has a Fire Blast. And I didn't have a Fluster Storm or a Force, so that was the game. It was it was frustrating, right? I wish that I had that blue blast in my sideboard. I wish I could have hit, you know, a stifle or something, or that he would have had a price. That was that was the ideal scenario, was that I made this big show of like tapping my wasteland on turn four. Like I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be dead to price. Oh, whoops. I tapped my wasteland because I wanted him to just fire off a price and get spell snared. And then I was just golden because I had double days back. Right. But he didn't have any twos that game. So spell snare ended up costing me. If that was a pierce, I get there for sure. So well, I think, I think that he had an idol on in hand. He did, but, yeah, and he wisely didn't play it because I yeah, actually he, had a reasonable made, clock. There was like a turn in between. I went back and I watched the the coverage. The there was a turn between the um, chain lightning fire blast turn. That's right. He played a lava mancer. He played a lava mancer. Forgot and about you had that. The, you had the bolt for it, and then it untapped, and then you made the show of it and passed it back. You're right. Yep, that's that's correct. I forgot about that lava mancer. Yeah, I was trying to do the math, the racing math. If the if the bolt ended up going upstairs and trying to see what could have happened, yeah, no, I couldn't have got that. there, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I, I thought about that. that I saw that too. I was thinking, like, what's the chance of drawing another bolt? But I think my chance of drawing, like, counter magic is just so much higher at that point. Yep. And obviously, you not being able to play dazes for value was very unfortunate that game. But that's just how the draw ended up lining up. Like, and he was a very... I don't want to take anything away from him, bro. He was a very good player. Like, He played that match very well. I think he played all three matches very well, like to the, to the best of his ability. The only thing was that he didn't move to combat when I was floating blue in uh, Game 3. But other than that, I think it was pretty flawless. And I think his sideboarding plan was spot on. He got rid of his goblin guys, which I think is very strong. Yeah, and... Honestly, he took some pretty good advice from some pretty smart people. 
Or a pretty smart person who said Burn might be well-positioned. Yeah, you're welcome, bud. I'm glad I told you to play Burn so you could smoke me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why we, that's why we do what we do, right? Yeah, no, he was super cool. And uh, shout out, John. I know he said he was a listener, so we appreciate that. It was cool seeing the Eternal Dirtle shirt across the table and the dead format polo like in coverage. Like It was a battle. And we just came up short. At that point, I felt like the tournament was over, but then pairings went up, and I guess there was another round to play. So for Maxall, I was sitting at the first row of tables, even though I was dead for top eight. And I was playing against someone named Landon Swartz, who I didn't recognize the name, but he sat down and... uh, Turn one, he went, Thought sees me, saw a hand of Noble Forest Blue card, takes the Forest, plays a Lotus Petal, and passes. So I'm thinking he's on test, right? He was. He was yeah. my test opponent from earlier. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I had deployed a Delver. I had actually won the die roll and deployed a Delver. So I go to flip my Delver, and it's a Fluster Storm. And I'm like, yes, a fucking Fluster Storm. And I was like, wait. That's not in my main deck. I just forgot to sideboard against Burn. This match is still costing me games at this point. So I flip the Flusterstorm and I'm like, game two, this isn't in my main deck. I'm sorry. Let's just go to game two. Fucking max tilt, right? Well, to be honest, I don't think that's the fix. I don't even care at this point. Okay. And that's that's my fix, personally. Now, can I can I ask you a question? What's up? Let's say this was in a sideboarded game, right? And you, or let's say it's in a game one and you are playing, you're actually playing Flusterstorm in your main deck. Right? I thought about this, yeah, if I just don't reveal would, it. Would you have revealed it to flip your Delver? Or would you have drawn it like it was a land, passed the turn, had your opponent go off, and then have the Flusterstorm? That's what I was wondering for like a split second before I realized this card shouldn't be in my deck. I think. I'm trying to recreate the scenario perfectly because there's definitely scenarios where I don't show that card. I think I would have showed it because I I had no other clock, right? Yeah. I have, I have no idea what I would have done, but there there's definitely a momentary consideration. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You could have made to say, wow, like I'm putting this person on tests. They just cleared the way. They're going to assume that I drew a land or a creature, and this wins me the game if they attempt to go off next turn. Yeah, I can definitely see the case for that. But it didn't matter, I scooped. So yeah, game two, I had a turn on Delver that was reluctant to flip, and he honestly just went pass, 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 pass this entire game. I never saw anything out of him. I never saw even a thought seize. I never saw like deploying a lion's eye diamond or anything like that. Just never happened. He, I don't know what his draw was, but it didn't come together. Game three, he's on the play. He thought sees me turn one. And my hand is stifle, force, daze, daze, ponder, fluster, or sorry, ponder, delver, volcanic 
which is just fucking gas, you know? So he's like, oh shit, takes the, uh, the ponder and can never dig himself out from my, my counter magic. I just basically deployed like a wasteland at some point to keep him low on mana. And I actually stifled a land, which is not typical in that matchup, but I needed to keep my dazes alive. And yeah, just, just rode that across the line. And then later I found out from Bryant that Landon is actually Stoneforge Mystic on Moto, who I've I've complained to you many times about. I know you always say you don't remember your Moto opponents. Stoneforge Mystic, every time I decide to play a non-blue deck through a league, I'll be like 3-0 and I'll get paired against him and just fucking just run out of the dome every time. I think I'm like combined probably 0-8 against him. He's just like my dream crusher of a player. So if I think if I had known that going into the match, I definitely would have lost. But shout out to Landon. He was super cool. I was glad I got to avenge your unfortunate defeat at his hands round two. Save some face for our podcast. And yeah, it was a good way to end the day. Yeah, it was it was unfortunate to have that feature match that you had later not really break the way that it could have but man even though you lost that match having having your opponent say that they listened to our cast and made their deck choice because of stuff that we said just like gave me like a warm fuzzy feeling so it sucks that you lost but if you're gonna lose it's awesome to have you lose to that yeah there was this other dude too i think his name was christopher samich yeah he's Uh, one of our patrons yeah, who was playing uh, a Esper Blade deck and came up to me after a match, said he just played against elves and was thinking about how we talked about sideboarding plans against elves. I thought that was hilarious. He didn't shave forces, but upon learning about his main deck and sideboard configuration, I actually completely agreed with him. He had no containment Priest and no Aether Sworn Cannonist, so... I think that that was the best he could have done. It's just cool, you know, like that people actually listen to us and give a fuck about what we say because, you know, I don't know. They're crazy, I guess. But <laughs> well, speaking of that, we had we had three new patrons this week. It blows me away how much support we're getting, and we thank everybody for it. I I'm talking to a few of our patrons about their segments that they either want to put together with us or have us talk about. And I can't wait to get started with that. But Frankie Rodriguez, I think he's one of the Arizona legacy players. I I know him from the leaving a legacy group and I met him at the bar in Richmond, but I I can't remember if I talked about this on the cast last week or at the event, man, I went hard in Richmond that night and I talked to a lot of people, and I'm still not 100% sure if I had a conversation with everybody who was there, but I, I know Frankie was at least there. I don't know if I talked to him. Zachary Carr and Adi Call. I could have absolutely obliterated that name, but we thank, we thank all three of those people for signing up. We're in the works or we are in the process of talking to 
an artist to do some stuff with playmats and t-shirts. And I'm like super particular about the things that I want to put out. So hopefully everything comes out the way that I want it to. And we can, we can post that link up in the Patreon and, uh, and people can pick up some t-shirts if they want to. I think this is a good time to announce too to everybody I have uh, face blindness, so if I ever like don't recognize you and we had like a half hour conversation the week before, that's why. So any patron or whatever who came up to me, like if I don't recognize you immediately, if you don't have like some distinctive tattoo or like always wear the same hat or something, I'm probably not going to recognize you. So it's not personal. It's, it's my own thing. And I apologize in advance for that. Yeah, we had met like four or five times over the course of like 2013 to like 2016 and i think you thought that i was a new person each time we met dude i did not even know that until right now well i remember the star city where i was selling a bunch of cards for my wedding and I <laughs> I was selling a tropical island and you wouldn't buy it because the price was too good and you thought it was stolen Yep. So that was one time. There was the event that I was TOing where we ended up having 50 people show up for an F&M and people were sitting on buckets. <laughs> yep. And my wife, my wife beat you in the mirror. Yep. Sorry. That happened. That happened. And and maybe it was just maybe it was just those two times, but I I still remember. I still remember that looking back. Yeah, so I'm very sorry people. If you're not like a distinctive shape or like have a very distinctive like glasses or something. It's going to take a while before I like recognize you. So apologies in advance. It was so awesome to meet everybody at this tournament. Looking at my deck, I was happy with how my deck performed. Honestly, I went 0-2 against mono red decks and 5-0 against everybody else. So I was happy with that. I brought this deck because I felt like it was good against miracles. And I never played miracles, unfortunately, even though it was 16% of the room. Uh, something that that dude Robin had talked to me about, my friend Ryan Lesko, who plays a lot of rug, has talked to me about, and also Bryant talked to me about uh, the morning of the tournament, is that I should be playing multiple winter orbs. And I think after this tournament, I'm actually sold on this. I should probably have one winter orb main and at least one more in the side because it was so good for me when I got to deploy it over the course of the day. And just like I was working on some sideboard plans today at lunchtime, I think that I can free up some spots in my sideboard, get a winter orb in there, get a blue blast in there, cut the fluster storm. And I think that this deck is a real player, honestly. Like, I I know it's kind of my pet deck. I know it's kind of like a meme that I'm always going to be playing Noble Hierarch, but I honestly think there's something there. And one thing that I really regret is. I accidentally brought two Pyromancers and one Hooting Mandrels with me to this tournament. So many times over the course of the day, I drew Pyromancer and was like, fuck you. I just wish you were Hooting Mandrels so bad. Including game two against Burn. <sighs> Hooting yeah, Mandrels you, you is the real deal. You can't miss Hooting Mandrels triggers. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> Um, oh, man. Speaking of speaking of Winter Orb, though, the eventual winner 
of the tournament, who is a math teacher from Vermont, who I was actually talking to, like, waiting for pairings, and I think, now, my memory is just awful, but I think they said that they listened to the cast, and they were the only Grixis Delver player in the room, I believe they were playing main deck Winter Orb, and they just shredded the tournament. Winter Orb was in, from what I saw going through the lists, the card of the tournament. And when you're in a field with 16% Miracles, and Miracles is relying more on cantrips and accumulated knowledge than ever, Winter Orb just absolutely puts them under a vice. Bro, so all that I heard was that he was playing Mission Briefing. I actually heard this from uh, from Landon in round seven. And then later I heard that the winner of the tournament had chosen Mission Briefing as the card to go into the trophy. And then I saw who it was, and it was a dude wearing a fish shirt, and I was like, all right, this all makes sense now. What you got against fish? Nothing, bro. I'm just saying he's obviously a divergent thinker. He's willing to try things. Let's just put it that way. Willing to experiment. Yeah, and trust me, bro. We're with you. All right. That's all. <laughs> that's all I can say on this cast. We're oh we're my. we're on your side. So, I had a blast. I'm still sick as a dog. So if I missed giving a shout out to anybody or giving credit that you deserve i 100 percent will try to remember next time we next time we cast or next week when we cast but i i really wanted to thank everybody that that brought things to donate it means a lot to us and it means a lot to the people that are that are gonna end up receiving what you guys brought so big thank you to all of the people who either donated the toys or tots or the can drive yeah I wanted to, uh, I think I shouted out everybody. I wanted to shout out uh, Ben Brandt, who unfortunately lost his winning in round seven, but we played through a league, uh, Skyped through a league late last week with with his dead guy deck. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were crushing people, bro. I think he uh, finished that league 4-1, and he was at 1.411 with the deck playing on camera. So... Props to him for having the balls to play an archetype that I believe in, but not enough to play. And uh, yeah, it was just cool to see Celso, obviously, Zach Bashaw, who uh, I don't see enough anymore. And all the people from Gimme, etc., like Zach and Adam and Tommy, uh, just crushing it, Chris Fields. So I, uh, yeah, just wanted to shout out everybody, uh, Nick and Pat and all them. And, uh, also, just like that fucking lost episode, bro, I feel like it keeps coming back to bite us because we talked for probably at least 10 minutes about Legion War Boss in that episode. And I feel like that was a serious theme from this tournament, like Zach and Tommy just identifying that card. You saw in round one ex- literally exactly what we talked about, like Moon Stompy versus Tess. Like, do you need a Blood Moon if you have a three turn clock, right? Do you remember this conversation? I do. And we we went through, like, that was a good 
hour and 40 minute cast. That was a long cast. Where we went through everything. And as soon as you sent me that Facebook message, I was like, oh man, what are we going to do? It happened. Yeah. It, it was a perfect storm of, of bad shit to happen. But I don't think we fixed it really. But it's unfortunate because it's cool to see this happening in real life. And uh, it was interesting. Did you did you take a look at their deck lists? I did. What did you think of the one Pia Kieran? So I have never sleeved up that deck to play in a tournament. That card is very good. I don't think it's wrong. No. Right? So like it's diversifying your four drops. I think what they did with Karn and Great Furnace is fucking awesome. I just was wondering if I might want like a trash master in that Pia Kieran spot because it's another way to get your clock to a turn three. Like let's say you have like an ancient tomb, Chrome Mox, Rabble Master start, right? Then like a mountain trash master on top of that. Like that that's another way to get your, your war boss or your rebel master from turn four to turn three. Yeah, I mean it, it might increase your goldfish speed, but that card is there for the grindy matchups and I I feel like it's a very unique card where you can start chucking your lands and it it attacks from a different angle, right? Yeah, like, no, it's a pretty sweet card. I was just thinking about like uh if you have like a you know a rabble master making tokens or whatever, and you have a trash master, you're gonna be able to deal with vials and equipment because it seems like death and taxes is a hard matchup for that deck. I was trying to think about artifacts that might cause that deck problems, and I'm not about to question Zach on that deck. He obviously knows what the fuck he's doing, and it's just something I was thinking about looking at the list just now. Yep. Yeah, I did not. I did not give it too much thought. But man, Cardboard Live is sick. Dude, it was gas. It really seeing, was. Seeing the player bios and being able to click on the deck lists and seeing the work that Wilson and James and their programmers have put into that, it makes watching Magic fun. And maybe I'm coming from a perspective of like somebody who, who is just rooting for them. But when I was on my phone watching on mobile... Clicking on the player bios and looking at the deck list and seeing the fucking standings. That shit was awesome. Just absolutely awesome. Yeah, I definitely took a look at my bio. It was sweet. Yeah, You got to make your own. I feel like the only thing they're going to have to watch out for, they're going to have to edit that. Because, man, like, there are going to be some people that are going to put some things in that. And if a live stream picks that up, Without somebody taking a look at it, it might end up being a bad look. I think that's just your censorious instinct taking over. I think people are, for the most part, good. And also okay with exposure to content. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So one thing that I'm glad about is that I didn't audible to Miracles at the last minute. We saw like uh, Rich Shea and uh, Jeremy Tibbetts and some other good players play miracles and have very kind of middling finishes and they're players who i think are better miracles players than than i would have been so i don't think that the deck is oppressive you know what i mean like we saw Topher top eight and that dude william also top aided 
but we saw a lot of very good Miracles players finish 3-3. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I mean, it had a target on it, right? Like, one of the reasons why I brought Eldrazi was I thought it had a good Miracles matchup. And I feel like if you were going to that tournament, you felt comfortable and confident with your plan against Miracles. Or else you would have played something else. But, okay, so do you think it's the top deck, or do you think it's the best deck? I think it is the most played deck. So the top the top deck, right? Yeah, I, I think the best deck is probably some Storm variant. Like yeah. If you look I, at what Cyrus has done lately. Or Black that, Red Reanimator, one or the other, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, but it, it takes... We see multiple people doing really well with Storm. It's not just Cyrus, right? But yeah. Black Red Reanimator, you see Landon putting up results with, and I don't know if there's somebody else that's replicating what he is doing. I think Ole so, Rade is playing it now, too. Okay, so maybe maybe you have two pilots of that. The, the Obviously, those are super powerful decks, and you wouldn't think of Black Red Reanimator as having a high skill cap, but, man, there are some people that attack that deck or attack with that deck from such a different angle. And it's refreshing to see them just crushing it. So I would say Storm is at the top of my power rankings. One of the reasons, again, one of the reasons why I thought Eldrazi would be a good bring. And Black Red Reanimator is still up there. But I'm not sure if I would choose to bring that because I haven't put the time in compared to somebody like Ale Rade and Eric Landon. Yeah, for sure. And... Yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, I'd, I'd really think that any hate towards Miracles is probably a little overstated at this point, that's all. Yep. All right, so is there anything else you want to talk about? Like, we have, like, the SCG happened this weekend. Cyrus's team ended up winning. That man is a machine. Congratulations. Yeah, that's awesome for him. I, I didn't actually get to watch any of it, so I can't speak to specifics, but... I didn't get to check out... Uh, too much coverage either i also wanted to shout out our five foot six 190 pound friend pat who did an amazing job in coverage yeah i i watched the coverage they did and pat and jerry were excellent wilson did an awesome job i saw you were in the booth i was in the booth okay so hold up in our discord somebody left a message they're like so I'd never seen a picture of you before. You look exactly like a math teacher. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, it just, did I go on and absolutely look like a total nerd? Because I am a total nerd. You got to get that just that way. You got to get that just for men's going. Uh, fuck. No, my gray. If I can go full Sam Watterson and just have that straight, light gray, white, law and order lawyer look i'm gonna go for it i'm not losing my hair it's up there i'm not gonna color that shit that's distinct like you get that hair color and you are distinguished i have no idea who sam larson is a star wars guy are you fucking kidding me <laughs> is it a star wars guy or not no he's the he's a lawyer from law and order you know that show no you know I, I, I know that I know that there's a show called Law and Order, but I never watched. You've never watched Law and Order. No. Do you live under a rock? 
No, bro, I live in a place with 200 channels where I don't have to watch fucking NBC or whatever the fuck Law and Order's on. Jesus Christ, man. You're missing out. Ian, where can people get in touch with you to absolutely drag you on Twitter over you not knowing the show Law and Order? At Ian, I-A-N, 18125. And if people want to get in touch with you to either send you Mucinex or advise you on decks to play future tournaments, how should they do that? At T Smiley MTG. That dug deep. That second one. I was okay with the Mucinex comment, but that <sighs> that other one was tough. Bro, I feel like you're selling yourself short playing these these decks. That's all. Well, I appreciate that. You're a good player and you deserve to play good games. Just keep telling yourself that. And I'll, st- I'll... stop bringing fucking bogles and chalices to tournaments, all right? Fucking like 70% with bogles in my last two Grand Prix. I'm going to fucking keep on playing it. <laughs> Bro, as long as, as long as we don't have to hear about your modern tournaments, I support your bogles play. Okay. So you can also get in touch with the cast at Dead Format Cast on Twitter, and you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dead format. Emails deadformatcast at gmail.com. You want to sing the song this week? <coughs> That's the song of our people. We'll close with that. <laughs>